You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning. Hope you're doing well. We will be in Proverbs chapter 3 this morning. If you'd like to turn there with me in your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 11 and 12. Starting verse 11 there, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Lord, this morning we're asking that as we come to your word, that Lord, you would speak to our hearts that by your spirit, you would apply the word of God to our lives. God, we're asking that you do what we know you want to do, and that's edify and build up your church. So may we hear this morning what you have to say to us. Lord, we're listening, so we just pray that you would speak. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember being five, maybe six years old, um, in church one Sunday, you know, old school, traditional, you know, shotgun, rectangle building, steeple on top. And I don't know what I was doing. Whatever I was doing, my dad thought it warranted a spanking. So he, you know, he drags me out and I'm kicking and screaming. And he takes me out on that front porch uh, of that church. And of course, you know, he takes his belt off and you hear the pop, 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 you know, that scary sound. And he turns me around and he gives me a good one on the backside. I didn't feel it though. I guess my pants were too thick. Now I'm five, so you know, not very smart. So I turn around and I say, ha ha, I didn't feel it. <laughs> not very smart, not very smart. So he kind of looks at me like, what? So he grabbed my pant leg about the knee and pulled it up and wham, right there on the back of the leg. And I felt that one, that one. That one hurt. Uh, no one can say that they like being disciplined. Disciplined by its very nature, it hurts. It's, at the very least, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's making you into something. It's imposing something on you that you would not have asked for yourself. Webster's Dictionary defines discipline this way. Training that corrects, molds, or perfects the mental faculties or moral character. And whether it's a parent raising up a child to be a productive member of society, or a coach and an athlete who's capable in their sport, or a commanding officer and a soldier who's effective on the battlefield, discipline seems to be so very necessary to accomplish certain ends. Is the same thing true, though, we should wonder about our spiritual lives? Um, If God did not discipline us, would it matter? Would it have an effect? I mean, would it change anything? If there was an absence of God's discipline in my life, what would be the outcome? Would it matter? That's what I want us to consider this morning, in the absence of God's discipline. Look back at verse 11 with me. Solomon writing here, he says, My son, do not 
despise. It, it, it means to reject. It means to refuse. It means to, to cast off, to throw off. Don't, don't despise the Lord's discipline, God's chastening, God's correction. Or be weary. Weary means, it means to loathe, to abhor. It, it actually means to hate to the point of vomiting, throwing up. So Solomon says, don't, don't be weary of the Lord's rebukes, the Lord's punishments. But again, if they're not necessary, why not? No one likes discipline. If I don't have to be disciplined, I don't want to be. It's going to take something from me. It's going to ask something of me. I don't want to give away. Last week, we considered the wisdom of trust, if you remember. Some of the most famous verses in the Old Testament, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your way, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And every one of us would give a hearty amen to that. Of course, I want to trust the Lord. Of course, I don't want to lean on my own ways. Of course, I want to acknowledge God in all things. But there's a serious problem with that. Not with the text. But there's a serious problem with you. And there's a serious problem with me. As much as I would like to perfectly obey those commands, I cannot do it. I might do it sometimes. I might do it somewhat. But I cannot perfectly trust God. It cannot happen. You and I stand in need of incredible character transformation. It's very similar to Paul in Romans. That which I desire to do, I don't. And what I don't want to do, I often find myself doing. And so we wrongly assume that Proverbs are these disconnected, just disjointed thoughts spread throughout this book, and they're not. What we'll see this morning is how discipline is the logical conclusion right after trust for those who cannot do it. We'll see Solomon make a divine correlation between the two. So in considering the absence of God's discipline, I want to take note here from our proverb, a couple things about God you and I are grossly undervaluing when we don't desire the discipline of God in our lives. Okay, first thing, the holiness of God. The holiness of God. An indifference, a different attitude towards sin in our life, that's always going to produce a wicked indifference toward holiness or the lack of holiness in our lives. And that should be a very, very serious problem for us, friend. God gave the command to his people in the Old Testament and again in the New. God said it in Leviticus and again Peter repeats it in his first letter. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. God is infinitely clean and God is infinitely righteous and God is infinitely pure in all his parts. Not some, but in his entirety. God is completely without sin. God is completely removed from fallen humanity. And so God demands that his people be just as holy as well. It's why God gave such radical rules, such radical regulations to his people in the Old Testament. Not because he wanted to make life miserable for them but because he, he wanted them to stand out as his set-apart holy people. So you see, our, our likeness to God and our utter dissimilarity to the world around us, it should be defined exclusively by our holiness, our utter conformity to God's rule, God's reign in our hearts, in our lives. God has made us, us his people. 
He has set us apart. And as such, we should have a genuine desire to reflect the holiness of God, that God's righteousness would be manifested in our hearts, in our lives, regardless of the cost. Now, the cost is the problem. Because the cost so often involves the heavy hand of God's faithful yet trying discipline. Until you and I reach the end where we're full, we're, we're complete in Christ, we're, we're joyfully, we're wholly surrendered to the will of God. While we're still in these sinful bodies, there's a hole in our holiness. And God's actively at work in our lives, through our lives, raising us up to maturity, raising us up to Christ's likeness. And it so often involves God's painful chastening and correction, seasons of it. Consider how Peter says it, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you see, that's just the thing. If you and I are truly the Lord's, we shouldn't be so entangled in the affairs of this world. We shouldn't be so expectant of a, of a happy, pain-free life. So let me say then what's wildly unpopular to say in our postmodern pluralistic age. God is not concerned with your happiness. Not as the world defines it. God is though madly concerned with, madly obsessed with your holiness. Readying you, preparing you for eternity. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist and thinker, is famous for having said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was, not, that I was made for another world. And so we are. We as God's people should so desire the next life that we joyfully greet the heavy hand of God's discipline because we know he's readying us for eternity, true happiness where in holiness we perfectly know and are known by the Lord. So the pushback then, the, the, the rejecting, the casting off, the refusing of God's discipline, it's an indicator of a serious spiritual malfunction within my heart. I'm, I'm failing to see the essence of this present life. It's very, very temporary. God graciously began a work of salvation in us. We were spiritually asleep. He woke us up and he didn't just begin that good work. God's faithful to sanctify us, to set us apart in holiness, especially when the means of doing so, we should be so grateful because we know God's readying us for eternity. And if we're not quick to heed the wisdom of God's discipline, we're gonna miss out on what God's teaching us graciously. We're, we're gonna stifle our own growth. It's, it's like digging your feet into a temporal world you know is gonna go away. You're refusing God's training for the next life. It's madness, it's even stupidity. Proverbs 12.1, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. How do you like that for encouragement? You just might be stupid. Understand this as well, though. 
Um, praise God, he's readying us for eternity and he is so doing. But we ought to understand as well the relationship between our holiness and our usability in this life. God desires to use his holy set-apart people now in this life. God desires that we would bring him glory now in this life. So a refusal of God's discipline to be made holy is a refusal to be usable by God. It's very reminiscent of Romans 12.1. I urge, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul says, give yourself away, be attentive to the Lord, be holy, let God use you. And it's not gonna come when you refuse God's discipline in your life, regardless of how painful it is. I don't wanna miss out on the work God's doing in me. He ought to ready me for eternity, but how he's graciously wanting to use me for his name's sake in the here and now. I remember several summers ago, I was preparing to preach for the first time, never preached. Scariest thing. Um, and I remember telling Brian, I said, Brian, I, I don't know. I, I just sense like the Lord is maybe leading me to preach. I couldn't believe I let it out of my mouth. I'd said it. And he said, okay, well, we'll put you on the preaching calendar. And I thought, oh my gosh. And so it was funny because the, the date he put me on the calendar, it coincided with my preaching class at Moody. And they, they ended at the same time. The preaching class had to culminate with me preaching somewhere. So here I am doing this intensive preaching class. In addition to that, I've got two other intensive classes I'm doing. Um, I don't know if, you're, if you have a dog or a cat, but um, if you've ever had fleas, it's awful. Um, right in that season, we got fleas, and I mean bad. Um, we were spraying like crazy. I had professional spraying. He was like, I don't mean, I don't know what's going on. We could not get rid of them. Uh, my car broke down. Um, it was such a bad season of life and it was so discouraging. And I remember breaking down to Jessica and just saying, Jessica, I'm discouraged. I just don't want to do this anymore. I just want to stop. And as miserable as that season was, I look back and I see how God was teaching me. God was showing me things. One, he was showing me that in pastoral ministry, you don't get to just sit around and write sermons all day. People get sick. People need counseling. People need to be loved. Uh, things happen in my life and others, other people's lives. You got to keep going with life and ministry. I was never driven to pray with my wife more than I had before in that season. So no, I didn't enjoy it, but I see how God was using that time to, 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 to do a, a refining work to raise us up in holiness. And even at that, you say, well, I hear what you're saying, but you know, I've gone through something worse. I've gone through much worse than you. But then someone else could pipe up and say, well, I've gone something worse than the both of you. And then somebody else could, and we could go around the room and find who's gone through the worst thing. It's not about who's gone through the worst thing. It's about, can you trust the wisdom of God's discipline? He, he knows exactly what you need to go through to raise you up to holiness. You have that kind of trust in God in those painful seasons. Again, C.S. Lewis, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our work, but he shouts at us in our pain, are you listening to what God is trying to teach you in seasons of discipline, in seasons of correction, in seasons of chastisement? And let me say this as well. In those seasons, really all seasons, but those seasons particularly, run to scripture, run to prayer, because God's not trying to discipline you to anything other than God's word. So if your face isn't buried in this, you may very well fail to see what God was trying to teach you. So come to God's word, let it be a navigator, let it show you exactly who God is. Seek his face in that, because I mean, I don't want to miss out on what God's trying to show me, again, to use me and to raise me up to holiness. Also, as morbid as it sounds, as it sounds morbid, this is very encouraging morning, you're stupid, and uh, think about dying more often. 
thinking about dying is the Bible's best prescription for a lazy, arrogant, proudful heart that doesn't want to endure God's discipline. Peter says it, Paul says it, think about the end. This life is temporary. Eternity is always almost here. Don't miss out on these very few moments you have to live for the glory of God. God says, I'm holy. You have got to be holy. It's not even, it's not even like always these long drawn out seasons. Sometimes, sometimes God's discipline is just the spirit speaking to you. Hey, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't have said that. Hey, you know, you shouldn't have thought that. Hey, you know, you probably shouldn't have listened to that. Hey, you know, you probably shouldn't have watched that. And when you have a, oh, I don't care. It's just this. It's just a movie. It's just that. It's just one comment. Friend, you're, you're, you're refusing God's discipline. You're pushing yourself away from God. You're sending yourself to hell because God's trying to draw you to heaven. So when I say no to God's discipline, I'm saying no to who God wants to ready me and prepare me to be forever. You see that? You got to hate sin the way God hates sin or you're going to hate God's discipline. Be holy. I'm holy. In the absence of God's discipline, second thing, we grossly undervalue when we don't desire the discipline of God in our lives. The fatherhood of God. The fatherhood of God. Verse 12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. Now, if you remember last year, we went through the book of Hebrews together. And the Hebrew writer was chiefly writing that letter uh, because his recipients were undergoing a severe form of social persecution. They were being tempted to fall away from the faith because of the trials, the, the seasons of suffering that they were enduring. So he's writing them to encourage them. And what's interesting in chapter 12 of Hebrews, we see the Hebrew writer employ the very same proverb we're considering this morning. So it's interesting to see how he uses that to encourage them in their suffering. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse three with me. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary of when, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his, here it is again, holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So we see the Hebrew writer here push the envelope a little further, don't we? He's, he's, he's bringing a greater clarity as to whom it is God disciplines, not just God's people, but quite particularly God's sons, God's children. 
you could, in many agnostics do, believe that God is, he's distant, he's far, he's cold, he's unknowable, he's not interested in the affairs of humanity. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have many uh, well-meaning, ignorant people who say, we're all God's children. Uh, They're both wrong in their own way, but wrong nonetheless. Uh, God is not distant, far, and cold, nor are we all his children. Uh, We see in our proverb here, and then opened up a little more fully in Hebrew, uh, a defining mark of God's love, God's concern, God's fatherly care, and its discipline. To be chastened, to be instructed, especially here in the context of discipline via hardship and affliction. Now, what kind of heavenly father would impose that kind of discipline on his children? It seems cruel, doesn't it? No, it's a really, really good and loving father. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So much so, the Hebrew writer says, if you are to notice uh, an absence of God's discipline in your life, you're illegitimate. You're not even his children. You're not under God's fatherly love and care. So never mind the level of pain involved in the discipline. You got much bigger, like much, much bigger problems to to deal with, to face. Consider Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And couple it with 1 John 3, 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So if I'm not God's child, this is a strange conclusion the Bible's bringing us to. I'm actually a child of wrath. I'm a son of disobedience. I'm actually a child of the devil, literally subservient to the will of God's arch enemy, totally opposed to all righteousness, totally opposed to all forms of holiness. I am a rebel against God, God's calls in every way. And yet, and this is a big O yet, yet, God has looked down on your poor estate. God has looked down on my poor estate. And he has set us apart, not just as his people, so important to catch, but as his children. God isn't just making a people out of us. God is making a family. And you consider the means by which God did this, by sacrificing his perfect son, his perfectly obedient Holy Son, Jesus, Jesus who never disobeyed the Father, Jesus who was a good, pleasing Son, laid His life down, spilled His blood so you and I could have a share in His perfectly pleasing life before the Father. So when God's disciplining me, He's raising me up to greater Christ-likeness. He's drawn me closer to His heart by producing in me, by His Spirit, a greater measure of Christ. He's calling me to live more fully in the reality of my adopted sonship in Jesus Christ. That's 
real love. Can you feel the weight of that this morning? When I feel the heavy hand of God's discipline on my life, I know that God's doing a sanctifying and work, work in me, setting me apart in holiness more and more so that I can know and enjoy the Father the way that Christ knows and loves and enjoys the Father. That's what God's doing when he's disciplining me. That's true love. Can you feel the weight of that? So we praise God. We thank God for seasons of chastisement. Doesn't mean we enjoy them, but it means that God has ultimately saved us from the destruction we deserve and he is preserving us in Jesus Christ. That's love. Can we feel the weight of that this morning? A woman once visited Switzerland and walking one day, she came upon a sheepfold. Venturing in, she saw the shepherd seated on the ground with his flock around him. Nearby on a pile of straw lay a single sheep, which seemed to be suffering. Looking closely, the woman saw that his leg was broken. Her sympathy went out to the suffering sheep, and she looked up inquiringly to the shepherd as to how it happened. I broke it myself, said the shepherd sadly, and then explained, of all the sheep in my flock, this was the most wayward. It would not obey my voice, and it would not follow when I was leading the flock. On more than one occasion, it it wandered to the edge of a perilous cliff, and not only was it disobedient itself, it was leading other sheep away as well. Based on my experience with this kind of sheep, I knew I had no choice, so I broke its leg. The next day, I took food, and it tried to bite me. After letting it lie alone for a couple days, I went back, and it not only eagerly took the food, but licked my hand and showed every sign of submission and affection. And now, let me say this. When this sheep is well, it will be the model sheep of my entire flock. No sheep will hear my voice so quickly, nor follow so closely. Instead of leading the others away, it will be an example of devotion and obedience. In short, a complete change will come into the life of this wayward sheep. It will have learned obedience through its suffering. You need to hear it this morning with fresh ears. And if you're like me and you've grown up in the church, you've heard it 10,000 times and it comes to mean nothing. But maybe considering what we've considered, we can hear it this morning and it can, it can mean something again. God loves you. And God's doing a greater work in your heart and in your life to bring him glory and work for your good. And you will have, look, it's not going to do you any good for me to preach some lighthearted, sweet, sassy, funny sermon, five principles to be a better you. Because that's not the kind of world you live in. You live in a gritty world and you either believe that there is a sovereign God who loves you and allows bad things to happen or he hates you. Because bad stuff happens, seasons in life come, and you will be pressed to hold on to your faith and truly believe once and for all, God loves me and everything that's happened. He's drawn me closer to his heart as a father. He wants me to know him. He wants me to love him as Christ per- perfectly knows him, as Christ perfectly loves him. Can you, can you hold on to the love of God in all seasons of life? In absence of God's discipline, there remains only the presence of God's condemnation. In absence of God's discipline, there remains only the presence of God's condemnation. God's people are a holy people. God's children are loved and intimately cared for. But do we fully understand that the pathway is so often God's gracious, yes, gracious, kind, always kind, Loving, yes, God loves us. But so often, painful, 
trying discipline. Because we need to be very sure about something. Very sure. Very sure we haven't bought into some sort of fictitious subversion of Christianity that only gives and never takes. A Christianity that provides feasts but never fallow ground. A a Christianity that blesses but, but never requires patience and hope. Can we think about the words of Job? Though you slay me, I trust you. Those are easy words to read, but friend, are they easy words to really believe and hold on to in seasons of God's discipline? So you gotta be careful in the book of Proverbs, because what you can easily do is set forth these moralistic therapeutic messages. Do this, you'll be a better this. Don't do that, you won't have to worry about that. And I'm not saying there isn't a place for practical wisdom. Of course there is. But you cannot have practical wisdom until you understand how the whole of scripture, certainly wisdom and Proverbs, have exactly to do with our relationship, our following Jesus Christ. Because the call to Christianity, the call to follow Jesus, it is a call to die. And it is a call to die because Jesus died. Jesus surrendered his life. Jesus, though he did not need to for his own sake, he was a perfectly holy son all the way through his life. And then obedience to the father, he he laid his life down because as a son, he trusted the father's heart. Jesus says in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. So you see Jesus as a man. I don't desire this. I don't want this. If the cup can pass, let it pass. But that doesn't stop Jesus from ultimately what? Surrendering to God's will. Why? Because Jesus has perfect character. Jesus is the perfect son. Jesus has trusted in the Lord with all his heart. Jesus has leaned not on his own ways. Jesus has acknowledged God in everything. And because of that, Jesus' pathway to the father was made straight. So I want to keep my eyes on Jesus, the perfectly wise one with perfect character, who's holy before God, who is the son of God so that I can share in his life, share in his blessing. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's fun. But can I, with Paul, bear the light afflictions for the weight of glory that's being prepared for me in eternity to come. If not, we receive what we deserve. And what we deserve is the wrath and fury of God for our lives. I don't want to stand before God on the merit of my own life because I don't trust God and I don't ultimately love God and I'm not holy and I'm not a good child. I'm a rebel against his cause. And God doesn't desire that for you either. God desires that none would perish, that all would be saved. God desires you be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. God desires that you would repent and come to Jesus and freely receive the life. But understand in your coming, understand in the free receiving, it is a painful road to walk, but take heart. Jesus says you'll have troubles, but I've overcome the world. So let's look to Jesus, the perfect son who perfectly trusts God in all things. And if we look to Jesus and if we trust Jesus, if we share in Jesus's life, we will find ourselves one day in eternity with Jesus, perfectly loving, perfectly trusting the father, perfectly knowing him as a child, perfectly living a holy life before him and finding our joy in doing everything that brings him glory to God be the glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, your word endures forever. Lord, you will not be shaken. So we ask that Lord is weak and as poor and as pitiful we are, that God, you would be gracious to us. 
Lord, in our weakness, you would be made strong. In our ignorance and our foolishness, Jesus would be our wisdom. Your word says that Jesus is the wisdom from God. So we desire Christ. And we're thankful for Christ. And we want a greater desire for Christ. Because without Christ, we have nothing. Yet, Father, you have given Christ to us. So, Lord, I'm praying this morning that your Holy Spirit would take your word and convict every heart, convict every life. Lord, holiness, it would not be a game we play with, but Lord, we would seek holiness as you seek holiness. We would hate sin as you hate sin. Father, that in our sanctification, we're growing up more and more to maturity. We're growing up more and more to the likeness, the measure, the stature of Christ. Father, though once rebels, you've called us out. You've graciously chosen us. You've made us your own. So Lord, we just want to sit in the weight of that for a second. That we did not deserve you and we did not choose you, but you chose us. You called us out. So Father, grace upon grace, we want to be a grateful people, man. Oh, forgive us when we get over the gospel message that Jesus saves. And saying that Jesus saves, Father, we know that it wasn't a one-time thing, but you are saving us. You are readying us. You are raising us up. So, Father, like Jesus, man, we're going to be faithful when difficult seasons come. We're going to be attentive when your spirit speaks to us, that, God, in all things, we hear you. We're learning from you. We're pleasing you. We desire to be holy. We desire to bring you glory. Father, may we be at peace with whatever means necessary you choose to bring that about. Father, we know our chief end is to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. So we thank you that in Jesus you have won that joy for us. May we glorify you and enjoy you forever. Receive praise. Receive glory. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.